It's uh, the 3rd of April, 1968, and we are in Memphis, Tennessee. A speaker is going up to the stage, and um, he's about to deliver um, his speech. The room is packed with people, and the people there are mostly black people. And this speaker doesn't know it yet, but it will be his last speech. Um, in weeks and months leading up to this event, uh, he has been criticized and attacked by many people with opposing views. He got even multiple death threats, and his plane that was going to Tennessee was um, it was it was delayed because of a bomb threat. Um, but he continues his journey, and he delivers his message. He's a man of faith, even even a Baptist minister. Um, the speaker, he is uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, the, the leader of the civil rights movement in the 60s. And uh, one day after this speech, he got fatally shot and killed. Um, but let me read to you the last words of this speech, which is almost prophetic. Just listen to this. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind life um, like like anybody. I like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. He has allowed me to go up to the mountaintop. And I looked over it. And I've seen the promised land. I might not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as his people, we will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. You see, Martin Luther King's eyes were fixed on the glory of the coming of the Lord. Seeing God's glory gave him assurance and security. He wasn't afraid of anything. He wasn't afraid of death. He wasn't afraid of any man. He just wanted to do God's will, God's work. Seeing God's glory gave him strength, assurance, and hope because his eyes were fixed on the things to come. And the question for us this morning is, how do we see God's glory? How can we give, how can, how can this give us assurance in difficult days to have strong faith in times of corona? To not be afraid, but instead be single-minded, doing God's work with our eyes fixed on his glory. And so in our passage today, we'll be gazing at God's glory from three different angles. First, God's glory in the past. Second, God's glory in the present. And then finally, God's glory in the future. And so come with me to chapter two, if you have your books, uh, your Bibles open. This second prophetic message of Haggai starts with a very similar um, uh, starting uh, than that what we've seen last week. It starts with a very precise date, and it's addressed to the same people. You can see that in verse 1 and 2, um, the two leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, but also to the people of Israel. And we are still in the year 520 B.C., roughly one month has passed since the people picked up the work on the temple again. One month only since God's spirit stirred these people up, led them to repentance and changed their priorities. One month only, but the people 
are discouraged again. But this time, it's not about wrong priorities. No, it's this time it's about the outward appearance of the temple. We don't know how much work they got done within one month, but it definitely didn't look anything like Solomon's temple of the past. Have a look at verse 3, where God is asking them this question through Haggai. Who of you is left who saw his this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Well, last week we have already seen that there, there, there were old people among these people in the crowd, and old people who must have remembered the former glory of the temple. These people are also the people who we can read about in Ezra chapter 3, the, the older people who already wept 15 years ago when the fountain, uh, foundation of the temple was laid. And so, you see, these are the same people who are discouraged now, um, the old people who looked back and compared the second temple, this glorious temple of Solomon's time, to the temple now. They remembered the gold that it was covered in. The walls were covered with it. They remembered the precious stones, the great porch, and the great pillars it had. But this new temple, to them, it looked more like a shed. Um, it was nothing like Solomon's temple. And this day when Haggai spoke, this second message was kind of an anniversary in the Jewish calendar from verse 1. We um, we know that um, we are at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, or it's also called the Feast of Booth. Um, so instead of being discouraged, they were supposed to rejoice. It was an eight-day festival, and we're at the end of it. And especially at the end, they were supposed to rejoice. Rejoice because of God who brought them out of Egypt and who provided for them. But this year, there wasn't much to rejoice about. The harvest was meek. And the temple was finished. And what made it even worse was that they had their memories in their minds because exactly 440 years earlier, at this very Feast of Tabernacles, Solomon dedicated his glorious temple to God. And this brought back memories to them because in First Kings chapter 8, we read how all the people rejoiced at that day, how they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies and how they sacrificed so many sheep and oxen that they couldn't even count them. And what happened at the end of this celebration? Well, have a read, um, and it should be up on the screen now. In First Kings 8, verse 10 to 11, we read this. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord. And the priests could not perform their services because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. They have, there we have it, 440 years ago, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The first temple not only looked more impressive with all the gold and silver, but God's glory also filled the temple. The glory of God in the past was seen in his temple, in his presence, being with his people. God's glory in the past, that is what these old people remembered that day. That's why they were looking back to it with tears in their eyes. And they were com comparing it to this new temple, this chat they were building. And they thought, are we doing God any justice with this project? 
Shouldn't we just stop because it's embarrassing? Didn't Ezekiel, the great prophet, speak of a temple that would be much more glorious than this one? So what are we doing here? Are we even allowed to continue? And so they had doubts in their minds. They were discouraged. And this time their motives, they seemed to be really godly, didn't they? But there's something going on in the background. And as the writer of the Ecclesiastes says, he puts it perfectly. He says, so say not where, why, sorry, say not why were the former days better than these? For it is not of wisdom that you are asking this. And looking at our people in Haggai's time, because what have we seen last week? Haven't we heard in chapter one that he said to them already, I am with you? How come that they forgot about this already? One month after that. You see, we are so prone to forget. And that's why we need God to constantly remind us and encourage us, stir us up. But we're also prone to compare ourselves with others, aren't we? And unless we are and we do as good as they do, it's not easy to please us, isn't it? We are prone to look back and to say, ah, oh, everything was better in the past. We will never reach the state again. But this can easily become an excuse for us to give up or to become lazy. Why? Because it's so easy to deceive ourselves, especially when we think our motives are godly. But looking back to God's glory in the past, that should stir us up. And these people in Haggai's time, they look back and they saw God's glory in this great temple and it should have encouraged them, should have stirred them up to see God's faithfulness to their forefathers. But let me ask you, what, what do you see when you look back? Have you recognized that we have the privilege to look back and to see the cross, to see Christ, who brought us forgiveness for our sins, who made us right with God through his death? And so we can look back and see the fulfillment of the Old Testament, of all the prophecies in Christ. We see that God's word is actually true. We look back and we see God's faithfulness at work. We see that his character has not changed. He was faithful to the people in the past and he is faithful to us now. And he will be in the future. He is still the same God, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was, the one who is, the one who will be. But how easily do we forget this? Instead, we compare us with others or we whingingly go back to the past. This shows us how much we need God's word to remind us of who God is, to strengthen us, to see God's glory in the past and to and be encouraged by it to, so that it gives us the right perspective that we can count up his blessings of the past and to see his glory in the present time even at supposedly bad days, which is exactly what Haggai is doing now. He's shifting their view and he's changing the focus onto the present time. And this brings us to our second point, God's glory in the present. But now, he says in verse 4, 
But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And do what? And work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Be strong. Now is not the time to weep, God says. Now is not the time to be discouraged. Now is not the time to be afraid. No. Now is the time to be strong. The time to do my work. The time to complete my temple. And you can do it, says God. Because of what? Because I am with you. Remember, he said that in chapter one already, and he repeats it here. God says, I am with you. And for these Jews, God is saying, I'm with you even without a temple. You see, these, these people, they were discouraged because they were looking for God's glory, for his presence in the wrong place. It's not about the outward appearance of a building. Not even about the cloud in the past. God's glory of the present is not bound to the temple. He says, I am with you already. How? Well, the idea in verse 5 is that he is with them through his word, through his covenant of the past. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will be dwelling in the midst of you. This is the promise of the past. And God is faithful to this promise. You see, God's glory is seen in his word. And in their case, God's glory shines through every word that comes out of Haggai's mouth. They can be strong because God still speaks to them through his spirit of prophecy. They can be strong because God's spirit that stirred them up a month ago is still with them. And it's the same spirit that was with their forefathers in the wilderness. And it's the same word that stirred up Solomon to build his temple. That's why King David said almost exactly the same words to Solomon. Listen to this in First Chronicles 28. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Sounds almost like our passage, doesn't it? It's because God doesn't change. He is faithful. And he sticks to his word. So God's glory of the present is seen in his character, revealed in his word. These people might not have seen his glory and might in a cloud before them. But God assures them through his prophet, through his word, that he is there. He who is the Lord Almighty. This title is used five times in our passage alone because it means he is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, their assurance, their security, their protection. And so they don't need to fear anything. No opposition from the locals, nothing. They don't need to fear anything, just like Martin Luther King didn't fear anything. But you know, I often hear people say, if only I could see God, if only I could see his glory, like the people in the past, 
then I would believe. Well, then my faith would be strengthened. Well, do you see what you're doing when you're saying this? You're comparing yourself. You're whinging about the past. It's the same thing. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you looked at the sky or at the stars at night, which are beautiful out here in Gimpy if it's not raining? But the psalmist says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Is that what you see when you look up? God's glory in the present time is seen in his creation, in his handiwork. But we have even more than that, haven't we? The only, they only had a prophet, but we have the prophet. We have the word of Christ, of the Son of God, and we have it literally at our fingertips, so easily accessible. That's why the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrew chapter 1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom all, uh, through whom also he made the universe. And now listen to this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. If you want to see God's glory in the present, look at Christ. Look into his word. He's the radiance of God's glory. He is the one who said, who has seen me, has seen the father. And you will find him in his word. God's glory shines through every page of it. Is that the Bible that you're reading? Through Haggai, God said to these people, I will be with you. But Christ promised us the same thing, didn't he? Christ said before his ascension, I am with you always to the end of the ages. And how is that? Hasn't he ascended to the Father's right hand? How can he be with us? That's all true, yes. But he can be with us because he gave us his spirit. He sent his spirit directly into our hearts. And if you are a born-again Christian, if you believe that Christ died for your sins, that he took the punishment that you deserve, and that he rose again on the third day, if you believe that, if you turned in faith and repentance to him, and that means he gave you his spirit because you were dead in sins and trespasses. You couldn't have done it on your own. And so he put his spirit straight into your heart. And that's where he dwells at this very moment. God is indwelling our very being. We as God's people are the temple of God with Christ as our head and his spirit as our comforter, our helper. Our strength, our strength comes directly from him. So if these people were called to be strong and to do God's work, if that's encouraging to them, how much more must it be encouraging to us? To us who can look back to the cross and the resurrection of Christ, to God's glory of the past, and to us who have the word of God at our fingertips right now, and who have God himself 
is Holy Spirit dwelling within us. How much more must this stir us up to work for God? Because, you see, in the same way that God commanded these people to work, he also commanded us. Christ gave us the Great Commission. Just like in our passage, Christ gave us a command to build God's temple, his church. You remember these words in Matthew, right? At the end of Matthew, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Are you building God's church? Do you want to see Gimpy Presbyterian grow? Are you investing time and energy in God's people? How much are you concerned about newcomers at your church? Would you recognize them? And would you leave your comfort zone, not being afraid, and speak to them to build God's temple? Would you share the gospel with them? You see, we see God's glory in the present, also in his church, in his people. Because his spirit dwells in us and works in us. And we ought to be a reflection of God's glory, a light in the dark. But, you know, we have even more than that. Because we know about the glorious future that awaits us. And this brings us to our last point for today. God's glory in the future. You know, when... When we came to Gimby, Christine and I and Josiah, we quickly realized how hilly it is here compared to Brisbane. And when you're driving along the Mary Valley Road, if it's not flooded, um, you see lots of smaller hills and sometimes um, these bigger mountains in the background. But when you're right in front of one of these smaller hills, the bigger mountains in the background, they suddenly are covered, right? And um, so all you see is this top of this smaller hill and you you can't see the big mountain in the background anymore. And, you know, that's actually something that applies to God's revelation as well, especially when we read the prophets. We call this um, telescoping. Um, you know, back in these days, these people, they only could see that first hill, that small hill, which was right in front of them. But when we look, uh, when we look at uh, what we can see, we can look further. We can see that bigger hill, a bigger mountain in the background. And so how does that apply to our passage, you ask? Well, have a look at the last bit of our passage today, verses 6 to 9. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. The people in Haggai's time, they couldn't see the complete fulfillment of this prophecy. They only saw the small hill in front of them. 
They understood that God is sovereign, yes, that he is in control of everything, that he can shake everything, the natural order, the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land, and even the nations. Soon they should see kingdoms rise, the Persians, the Greek, the Romans, but eventually they would all be shaken and fall. And what would be left is God and his kingdom, the one who is not shaken by anything, the one who built his everlasting kingdom. And they understood also God's promises, that he is faithful, that he will bring glory to his name, that all the silver and the gold in the world belong to him alone anyway, because he's the creator of it, and that he will fill this house with glory one way or the other, that the glory of the God's temple would exceed that of the first, and that there would be a time when all nations, pagan nations, Gentiles, would come to God, and that ultimately everything would lead to a state of peace, also called shalom. You know, that word that describes the glorious state of peace with God, that state of perfection and completeness. And so even these people in Haggai's time, they were also longing to see God's future glory. And how fitting it is that this prophecy comes at the Feast of Tabernacles, a feast that urged them to look forward, to anticipate the greater fulfillment of God's promises. But they wouldn't live to see all that. They couldn't see that big mountain the fulfillment of all these prophecies and promises. But we can see it. We can see how God filled this house with glory and made it greater than the former. We can see that this is all pointing to Christ, to the word that took on flesh and dwelled among us. Or literally, as John says in his gospel, the one who tabernacled among us. You see, this language is no coincidence. It was God himself who entered into his own creation, who entered into his house, who tabernacled among us. And what is it that, God, that John says in his gospel right after that? Let me read it to you again. John 1.14 The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, or tabernacled among us. And listen to this now. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you want to see God's glory, look at Christ. Look at his birth. Look at his incarnation. Even the angels in heaven were breaking out in praises, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We, th we, we sing this at Christmas time, right? You see, Christ's coming was the first moment when not only the earth, but also the heavens were shaken. They were breaking out in praises. And right after his birth, the baby Jesus was brought where? Yes, he was brought into the temple. And into, in the temple, uh, when, when, when he was brought into it with his parents, he, he met this, they, they met this old man, his name was Simeon, right? And, and do you remember what he said when he saw him, when he saw this baby? He said, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. There you have it. Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Christ is in the temple. And while he is in the temple, God is filling this house with glory, a glory greater than everything else. And you know what? There's an even greater mountain for us in the background. Because we look forward to the second coming of Christ. We long for the heavenly feast together with Christ on the Lord's day. And what a day this will be. There will be peace or shalom, this perfection, this completeness. It's the day when all tears will be wiped away. No sin remains. A day when we will see Christ coming in his full glory with his angels and in his might. When we will see him face to face. We will be in his presence. Can you imagine that? It's a day that is described in Revelation 21, where John sees the new Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need a sun or a moon to shine on it. Imagine that for a moment. Why is there no moon and no sun anymore? It says, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb of God is its Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. You see how it's all coming together? Christ is the glory of God. He is the temple, the light of the world that shines brighter than a thousand suns. And we will walk in this light. We will be soaked in his glory like in a bathtub full of light. That's our destiny. That is where we are heading towards glorification. And it's already started in you. We as his people are already transformed into Jesus' image from one degree of glory to another. So to sum it all up, if you want to see God's glory... Look at Christ. Look at his word, his promises of the past. See his character and faithfulness on the cross. Look at his people. Look at his work that he is doing in them right now. And look how he is bringing all nations into his kingdom through his spirit and the power of his gospel. And finally, lift your head from this world. Don't be afraid of COVID or whatever it might be that discourages you right now, even a flood. But instead, look up. Look forward to the world to come, forward to Christ's return when his glory will outshine the sun. That's the vision that Martin Luther King must have had in his mind before he was killed. No wonder he had no fear of man, no fear of death. No wonder he was encouraged to stay strong. And to do God's will till his dying breath. Let's pray we would do the same. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and thank you for your word today, for this encouraging word. Father, help us, help us to see your glory in the past, in the present, and in the future. Father, we know 
that you are with us. So make us strong to do your work, to build your church without fear. And we ask this, Father, not for ourselves, but for your glory. And in Jesus' name, amen.